Material for the Brain Conversations for Thinking Bodies Hello and welcome to the 17th episode of Material for the Brain podcast. My guest for today is Jorge Cresis, a dancer, choreographer and a researcher holding a degree in sports science and a PhD in philosophy through the Department of Performing Arts, Goldsmith College, University of London. For the last 20 years, Jorge has been working to crack the secret of how to replicate altered state of consciousness through very accessible but highly effective body routines. His research has led him to create Towards Vivencia, peak performance training program that uses the most radical advancement in neuroscience to maximize training, speed up learning skills, enhance presence, and build confidence. In our conversation, we talked about the meaning and application of the word performance and the differences between athletic and artistic performance. We looked into his methodology of orchestrating rituals as a way to approach physical training. We talked about the ethics that might emerge by engaging in physical education and much more. I really enjoyed his openness and ability to confront disagreement and I learned a lot from his unique way of thinking and articulating ideas. So without further ado, here is Jorge Cresis. Hello Jorge, welcome to my podcast, how are you? I am very good, thank you for inviting me. Glad to be here. Yes, I'm, I'm pretty excited excited to have you here and yeah i must confess that uh you're the first person that i'm gonna interview that i've never met in person and i've just came across your work and was interested in the things that you're doing and so it's also like a certain learning experience for me and i hope you are uh, excited to join this uh, dance together very much this is the the moment of 2020 2021 connecting with people that you don't know from other side of the world just to the magic of the internet. Yes, totally. I think it's, uh, it's definitely maybe one of the, of the positive aspect of 2021 that, uh, yeah, I also had these experiences in workshop having suddenly a lot of people I've never met in my life who trusted joining. Uh, so yeah, maybe you can, we can start with, uh, if you could share a little bit like, uh, where are you right now and what are you busy at the moment in your life? And like, just give me a bit of a quick intro to, to the present moment. Sure. I have been a UK-based artist for the last 12 years. Before that, I was in Belgium, uh, but I'm uh, Spanish-born. Uh, and right now, I am in Barcelona physically because with the lockdown and the whole situation, I decided to spend this time with my partner rather than being just uh, um, hidden away in a small room in London. I just decided to come here and spend a bit of time with her. So if we need to be in lockdown, I prefer to be with her. Mm, sounds... Uh... A good decision. And uh, are you enjoying the life in Barcelona at the moment? Is it uh, tough there with the corona? How is it going? 
I don't really know because around April or May, I decided that I was not going to watch the news uh, about what's going on with Corona because the the news are changing every week about what you can do and you cannot do. So I am trying to be very responsible. I'm not meeting anyone beside my partner. I am in between these four walls most of my day and don't have any interaction. I go to the beach or to nature when I can and to do a little bit of exercise, but I could be in London, I could be in Berlin, I could be in Switzerland. I don't really know where, where we are at the moment. So the situation here, it seems like goes in waves. At the moment, we are experiencing a, a difficult one. So everything is going to be closed for Easter, but I think it's very general at the moment uh, everywhere. So comes and goes. Uh, mm. and, and what are you busy at the moment professionally? Like what, what is occupying your, uh, your attention the most with the limitation and everything? Well, those limitations open a, a lot of doors for us because we've been working uh, online for the last three, four years. So when the lockdowns happened here in Europe in March, we have the expertise, the human power, the infrastructure and the knowledge of, uh, of the experience more than the knowledge. You never know enough of how to translate dance uh, training, uh, professional development into this online shape. So we didn't hesitate and we just start offering lots of different classes for people uh, to keep uh, physically active, but mainly mentally connected to the community and to have a grounding experience of, okay, I know this teacher, I know what I'm doing, even if it's in a small space in my room. So since March, we continue the work of Towards Juventia, kind of like my company, and the online training in peak performance presence, which is kind of like our main work over the last uh, three years. But also we combine with uh, inviting teachers to our online academy of people who are very like-minded. Um, it doesn't matter what kind of dance they do, but there are people who push for that idea of uh, dance as a way to train empathy, compassion, resilience, being grounded. Uh, it's people who has been pushing the boundaries of what can dance uh, what dance can do at the human level. So we are organizing lots of different classes, uh, also three months uh, courses. Uh, we have our Towards Juventia training. Um, so yeah, lots of professional development online, which I'm really enjoying actually, because I know it's difficult and I cannot wait to go back into the studio. But I also can see the huge benefits and the lots of barriers that we have destroyed this year for dance to continue development developing in different areas and different ways hmm. and yeah first i'm quite curious like what brought you to start building online platforms before corona because i i i was exposed to it i i would guess like in 2018 not that of course i was aware that there is possibility to to study online but more like professionally i got really interested in that starting to develop some kind of online courses and going in this direction. But I'm curious because I know that it's not that common because dance as a practice, in my opinion, is a lot about experience. And of course, the experience of studying online is always in the context of you sitting in front of a computer to some degree. And whenever I meet somebody who is also interested in that, I'm curious, like what was your entry point to, to yeah, consider online teaching as something vi valuable? Yeah, I think you're very right. Uh, being in the studio, I mean, dance practice is something very much experiential. But uh, it came out of actually out of frustration because uh, what I've been developing over the last uh, 20 years is that practice on how you can train performance presence. 
and I put a lot of emphasis in the word training. I came from a sports science, so training in sports science has a very clear periodization, has a very clear build-up, has a very clear structure, has a very clear duration. And in dance, we are very used to take a very, very specialized workshop for a weekend, for a week, for maximum, maximum a month. And then, of course, something gets archived in our body, but we don't have much opportunities to develop those skills in depth unless you are in the same city than those teachers or you enroll in a very specialized program in Salzburg Experimental Academy of Dance or the place or organizations that they do that. So because I was going to uh, to different parts of the world and I was developing these little workshops of two days, three days, five days of performance presence, I came out with the idea of, okay, how I can provide a way for these people to continue training, for them to not only have an introduction of how this training is, but actually that they have this consistency. And I know that physiologically you take between nine to 18 months to have a physical change in your body, even in your nervous system, the, the neuro patterns that you create. So therefore I decided to create this one year online training for people to continue working in this performance presence to have a very clear structure, a very clear continuity, and also the community support for them to do it. Because we all know that in order to develop your stamina, you need to go and run every day. But it's not that easy to wake up at 5.30 in the morning to go for a run. It's much easier when you have a, a friend that knocks on your door and says, okay, let's go for running. So this online training came a little bit as an answer for that friend. Okay, now we are going to be working on commitment or unitasking. Therefore, we suggest that you do this for the next two weeks and we're going to be helping you to be accountable to do that. That's where it comes out. And uh, we started in 2018 and now we are about to open the 10th edition. So every three, four months, we open an edition. We have around 20 people. So we have around a tiny bit more than 20. So we had already around 300 people going through our one year training program. And that's how it all started online out of the necessity of continuity and mm. commitment and, and accountability. Yeah, it's, a, it's something I can really resonate. And I think that, yeah, maybe that's my, my biggest critique about dance uh, training culture, I would say, because I'm also practicing for several years uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, and yeah, there, it's such a different perception about training in the world of martial art, especially when we talk about consistency and re long-term relationship with teachers. That's something that I always struggle with. Because you mentioned the Salzburg Academy, Experimental Academy of Dance. See, this is where I studied. And in a way, the structure was trying to kind of mimic, I would say, like, what you would you would you expect when you graduate and go to the scene, which was kind of a schizophrenic experience of changing week every several weeks teachers, which was on one level very inspiring to keep on getting different inputs, but there was no space for registering anything. So in a way, it's always almost like a, you know an experience of bulimia, bulimia of information. You have to swallow everything without actually digesting, and then you know what happens after that. And, and yeah, I mean, of course, I've, I'm very grateful for the experience because I've learned a lot about myself, but I think that when it comes to actual learning, not that the world of martial art is perfect, of course, it's also, uh, there, there's definitely benefit of that. I would say like it's the compromise between stability and mobility that you can also analyze through the body. But hey, before we dive deeper, can you share a little bit with me 
like you've mentioned sports science could you can you take me a little bit me and the audience through like how did you arrive to the point where you were like leading one year programs for dancers like what was your background how did you yeah develop as a artist mover teacher uh, yes of course um i don't know if many people knows this but um i never intended to be an artist actually Since I was a little kid, I wanted to be a dance pilot, uh, sorry, a dance pilot, an army pilot. Um, and uh, that's a great thing, dance a, pilot. A dance pilot, right? <laughs> yes, I think I'm gonna keep it actually. those <laughs> magic accidents. What are you? I'm a dance pilot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, no, I have some family who, who were in the army, so I look at it always in a very romantic way. You know, the army people were those who went to other parts of the world to help when there was a, a human tragedy or, or a natural disaster. Um, I never looked when I was a kid as the army of those people with weapons that um, create conflicts and, and violence. Therefore, I always wanted to, to, to be a pilot. I, I intended to get into the academy, but uh, I couldn't because I have uh, scoliosis. My spine is twisted. Therefore, I tried to be an engineer in order to go into the army afterwards. But I started uh, aeronautics and it was not for me. I, I, I didn't fit in. I was not happy with the studies. So I decided to start sports science because it was something that I was just being very physical. I did martial arts when I was a teenager. And it was something very, very close to me, the physical uh, part of, of the body. Of the, of the human being. And in second year, we had as a subject dance because it was uh, something that you had to go through it. And I really enjoyed it. It was only one term, three months. And by chance, uh, totally by chance, by that time, I was going out with, uh, with a girl who was a flamenco dancer. And uh, she told me one day, well, come to my academy. They have some dance, dance classes for adults that they've never done anything. And honest to God, there was the only moment that I think a divinity opened the, the ceiling, appears and told me, you really need to do that. Uh, people were dancing to uh, a soundtrack of uh, um, Tarantino, Reservoir Dogs, the film, and I just saw it recently and they were dancing to this music. And it was similar to sports science, but they did it without any purpose. In a sport, you need to score so many points or you need to run from here to here in so many seconds. Dancing was completely purposeless, which was amazing. It was just for the sake of doing it, which was incredible. So I was really hooked up. Uh, I went into the conservatoire in Madrid. Um, I studied there for four years. And then I had a difficult situation personally in which either dance became my way of uh, earning a salary and supporting myself, or I had to stop dancing because I needed to, to earn money. I didn't have the support of my family. Or anything so I started doing lots of auditions and it didn't happen at the beginning but I was very lucky I was uh, accepted in a company here in Barcelona L'Anonima Imperial then I did an audition with a broken foot for a company in Belgium I got a contract that's a totally incredible opportunity I was there for three years with them and then I jumped into the UK where after dancing for a few years I was kind of headhunted by the place to, to start teaching And that's when my research started in performance presence, uh, literally. I started choreographing uh, while I was at the place, uh, initially for students, but that uh, grew very, very quickly. And I was asked to perform at the Royal Opera House, one of my, my pieces for a platform for emerging choreographers. And then I started getting commissions. That work was quite successful. And therefore, I decided to stop being a teacher and start being more a choreographer. And of course, as a choreographer, you always combine the choreographing with teaching workshops. 
and I realized that my passion is in education, in in helping other people to develop their skills. I, I like to choreograph. You know, there for me is is my research time into those new ideas uh, for later develop artists. But I always said that I am not sure if I'm interested in being the next Pinabaus, but I'm really really interested in facilitating the way for the next Pinabaus to exist. That's something that I'm fascinating. So this is where I am at the moment. I keep choreographing because I believe that the tools that I gather are very useful in order to create works on a stage. And the works that I do on a stage give me tools in order to facilitate the path for future dance artists, for them to to take dance to the next level. So that's a little bit what I do. Mm, interesting. Yeah, there is a... First, it's a... This kind of sport into dance, it's something that I hear more and more. Personally, I, I also went that path. I was a basketball player and ended up becoming a dancer. And um, yeah, it's, there is an interesting tension there between the function and the non-function, which I will definitely dive deeper with you. But I, I want to first give you a little bit more time to elaborate on your current work towards Vivencia, which is like your project and my baby. teaching platform your baby yeah could you elaborate more on what is this performance training that you're doing yes definitely uh, when i start uh, dancing because i start really late um normally when i got an audition or when i get a nice compliment i never got uh, you're a great dancer or Jorge, you, you, you are fantastic your technique is fantastic i always got the comment oh you have an amazing presence and I always wondered what it was. Um, and definitely it was something that I was first person experiencing those moments that it was fantastic to be on a stage, which was very different than being a, an athlete. And therefore I started researching what it was. It was mainly when I started teaching at the place when I had to organize my thoughts in order to pass this knowledge to the dancers uh, that I was teaching the, the students. So I start researching on how can I pass this idea of performance presence? If it's something that I have, how can I communicate on that? So I decided to start a PhD at London just to have certain knowledge about how to articulate something that I already knew, but I didn't know how to articulate, how to talk about it or how to create exercises about it. And it was uh, very painful. It was only 10 years that took me to finish my PhD, but it helps a lot to figure out what it was that performance presence for from this angle. I'm not saying that I have the solution, I have a solution. And I had to call it towards vivencia because in English there is no one word that explain how to experience the experience that you are having in real time that somehow is transforming you, that somehow you became bigger than yourself, uh, that somehow it marks a before and after in your life. And in Spain, this is my, it's my mother tongue, Spanish, uh, you have this word, which is vivencia, which it actually, it's an experience, an event that happens in your life that marks it before and after. So I decided to call this methodology, which is the, the end uh, of my research, my doctoral research, it was creating a methodology, a, a way to work, to train that state of consciousness associated to big performance presence towards vivencia, because being a training, you always go towards this. You you never arrive there. It's, it's like you might train for a marathon, but as soon as you finish the marathon, it's like, okay, when is the next one and how can I make a better mark? So you always train towards. And Vivencia is those moments that change you. So that's why it's called Towards Vivencia. And um, 
the methodology, it kind of like dissects the first person experience of those states of being as holistically as, as you can imagine, physically, mentally, spiritually, even words doesn't allow us to explain that because now we talk about physically, mentally, and spiritually when actually there is no division between physical body, mental body, mind, uh, and, and, and spirit if, if, if we have a word for that. So I create a methodology for people to train that perception, that experience for themselves when everything works on a stage or on, on classes or when you are working towards something, you know that those, trans, those classes, those training, those choreographies are somehow changing you. I don't know if you can imagine yourself being the same Matan if you would have continued being a basketball player or a dancer. The, the experiences that we have kind of like shape who we are. And what is interesting is actually we can design those experiences for us to transform our nervous system, patterns of behavior, our identity, almost at will, which is fantastic, is where the new uh, research about neuroscience goes. So how we can use dance in order to create those events consciously and willingly that transform us towards the person that we want to be. And that's a little bit my research, how dance, how physical actions can tap into your nervous system to change your patterns of behavior and identity at will in the direction that you want to go. Great. Thank you for this introduction. I, I have many questions. <laughs> go for it. So let's start and see, see how much we managed to cover. So first, I want to start with um, the word performance. I think we can understand it from different, per, different, if we look at different practices, it gives, there is a different context and a different meaning. So I think like if we are looking from the artistic perspective, it's the moment where I'm, I'm, be, I'm present in front of somebody who is watching me. Would you agree with this definition? Like very broad definition of performance. You are doing something and somebody is watching you doing that thing. Not fully. I had a big uh, discussion through my PhD with when I defined that performance is defined by what you experience as performance, meaning that it is not an event that needs to be design, uh, defined by where you do it, a theater, a studio, or in front of who you do it, an audience, a video, a camera. It's not defined by the external conditions, it's defined by the person who goes through that experience. So I might have a performance by myself in, the, in here, in my room, because that performance is somehow transforming me or, or, or I have the experience that I consider the experience of performance. So I always look at it as a first-person experience rather than defined by the context. Okay, I mean, I mean, this this could already, I mean, just this differentiation. I think we can we can, because I I, I would I would have I would have a little I I would challenge you because for me it's like uh, it already opens the notion that there that that my personal experience can be detached from the external circumstances and if I'm experiencing that I'm performing, therefore I'm performing even if nobody is watching me, and I think that this line of thinking. Of course, I I I'm, I would be curious to see like why why would you want it? But I I can also see a lot of uh, I would say like problematic things that could arrive with it. But before let's wait a minute before we dive because I do want to to kind of 
ask the previous question. And so let's hypothetically agree on my perspective, even if you we, don't we agree. We disagree later on. We disagree later that there is a differentiation between performance in the world of sport and in the world of, of performance art. That, that in the world of, of sport, performance can be equivalent to the, the, the outcome that you're producing from your efforts. So like, you know, a good performance doesn't mean that I've been, you know, it doesn't matter if somebody watched me or not. It matters what I've, what I've generated. So I can have a great performance in, while I'm training, even if nobody's watching and I can have horrible performance in front of the audience, it doesn't matter. I'm still judging the performance based on my outcome. And in the world of dance, performance is always, in, at least conventionally, if I, if I agree, if I, again, put aside for a moment your definition, is mostly related to, the, to, a, to a situation that there is a certain relationship between me and some form of a viewer. And I wonder, like, what, what is the... How do you address these difference, differences in understanding performance within your vocabulary? So maybe it means that now you will have to elaborate more, like, why did you come to this definition? Um, yes, uh, it's one of those words that may have two meanings. Um, I'm trying to find an example of another word in English that might mean two things. Um, I'm sure it will come. Uh, but yes, I would be, uh, in my way of using performance, it would be much closer to the athletic performance when the, you are more um, addressing the outcome of it and the outcome of it in, in dance or even in cars. You know, what is the performance of this car arriving from zero to 100 in however many seconds or the performance of this artist or this worker, the performance of this worker throughout the last six months has been positive or negative. I had, I, I, my, my meaning, the one that I use about performing a state of performance, it close to that is closer to the outcome because it is how we experience that event uh, in this case in our case for because we are dancers the 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 dancing event however i very much recognize and i use it every day the the word performance for being on a stage or, or in a small theater in a small studio where you have an audience or a camera or you have a, a viewer and therefore you are presenting something and I can see that there can be a performance looking at the outcome within the performance of seeing, of being, of, of being in, in the theater. In Spanish, it's much easier because we don't have the word performance. We have rendimiento, which it could be the, the one that is attached to the outcome, or we have a, spe a spectacle or sewing or representation for that being on, on a stage. In English, I have the, for me, in the way that I look at it, is the same word with two different meanings. However, the meaning of uh, being attached to the outcome can be look at the one inside of uh, being on, th on the theater. So it can be the performance of a dancer on that performance on a stage. Yeah, okay, because, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that, I think, because I see that sometimes there is a certain correlation between the two. That... Uh, and I know I, I was thinking like on a, when I was younger, I was a, quite a big fan of the NBA, kind of in the area of uh, Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas, Michael Jordan, all these guys. And I remember there was like um, when Magic Johnson was, had his last game, I think it was an all-star game and kind of they celebrated. It was after he discovered that he's positive for HIV and he decided to quit the league and they had kind of a, like a last game for him in the MVP game. 
And of course, he had a phenomenal performance in that game. You know, he was like playing with Michael Jordan and Isaiah Thomas like never before. And of course, like his outcome was so amazing that it made the spectacle more amazing. So there was a clear correlation between the two. And I think that, of course, in, in contemporary dance, performance becomes so attached to conceptions that I think that we are, that there is a certain, at least where, where I'm based, there is a certain shift from the idea that, that yeah, by developing your craft and by developing your, your let's say, like your, your, perform, your outcome, you can also tap into the spectacular. And, and I wonder, like, what do you think about that? I, I fully agree um, with a little difference. Uh, I will go first with the difference. I, I prefer to disagree yeah, first sure. and then I go with, the, with what I agree. The difference is mo most of the, all the time, the performance of the outcome in dance depends on the viewer. So if I like, if I perceive what you do as a dancer, but that depends many times of my background. What did I experience that day? Did I sleep well? Did I have a fight with my partner? Uh, did I eat before going into the theater? So actually my perception of your performance is already filtered by my personal circumstances. So of course it's correlated most of the times, but not always because a director might have a really bad day and you have an amazing performance and the director still tells you that you've been crap that day. So that's the part that I would disagree. However, the part that I would agree is Of course, when you have that internal performance that you know that this is going right, and this is what I think we don't have in dance, we don't have a criteria to define when your performer has been right. Actually, the initial title of my PhD was when performance was right, because I was kind of like creating a criteria for dancers to know if their performance went right outside of, did I did the relevant correctly? This period was good. What was the state of consciousness that they were having for that performance to see if it was right or wrong? So, so yes, uh, what I think and what I have experienced also is by training that performance presence or, or that state of consciousness associated to, to that experience or by people who are very naturally gifted in that idea, normally are those people who have are picked from outside thinking you have an amazing presence. And in the way that you are uh, talking about, it happens a lot in gymnastics uh, when the, 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 the athlete has that motivation, that commitment, that playfulness within their execution, the, the, the panel, the member that they are giving them the mark observed and perceived that because it's happening something in that person that it always goes beyond that. Um, so yeah, fully agree. When, when that happens inside, it definitely spills out. However, not all the time that it spills out, people can perceive it. Mm. Okay, yeah, no, I see your point, but there is something that I, I, I want to make sure that I understand you correctly because, so on one hand, you said like that you, so you perceive the, the idea of performance as something that you, that is internal. So that it means that there's a certain level of subjectivity. But on the other hand, you said like that you wanted to create a methodology or a system that a dancer can evaluate, it, evaluate their own performance almost in an objective way, like it was correct or not correct. Can you tell, it sounds for me contradictive, but, uh, but I, like, could you go, could you explain that more? Because it's very interesting how to, how to negotiate this kind of objective into the subjective. 
Yes, um, I'm going to put an example, uh, a very, very clear physiological example. If you tell me that you are thirsty, you have an experience of yourself of how thirsty you are, but I don't. Therefore, you know if you can wait for another couple of hours before you drink or you are about to die because you really need to drink. This is an extreme that because it taps into survival, all of us realize. However, not all the time you realize about that subjective need. Sometimes we have a huge headache because we haven't been drinking for an hour. Our body has been telling us what we needed, but we didn't listen to it. We didn't have the tools or we were busy with something else. And thirst... Drink is something very tangible, very easy. But how do you measure or how do you, are you aware of how much you love someone or how present you were in a performance or how, I don't know, many other subjective experiences. So I was trying to find marks, landmarks. I come from a sports science. I'm a control freak. I, I, need, I need to know. I need to touch. <laughs> so I was trying to, to come out with criteria for people to assess how was their experience, try to make sense of their experience and therefore have tools for their experience to be better next time. So yeah, it was a way to assess, evaluate a personal first-person experience, which is still towards Vivencia, it gives you the tools for that, for you to decide if that's the right way that you want to perform or that's the wrong way that you want to perform. Therefore, to have the possibility to adjust and create a change in your next uh, training, your next uh, class, in your next uh, show. Interesting, yeah, because I'm try I'm just try I, while you were saying it, I was trying to kind of go through my memories and and see if if I could relate to it from a personal, from a first person perspective. If I had a performance that felt horrible, but everybody was cheering and telling me that it was the best. And I don't know if I, if I could pull up something like that, because I think that there is certain correlation. But uh, what do you think? Do you think, that, do, do you think that you can feel very horrible about what you've done when it comes to stage work, but that it will still be perceived as your best show so far? I think it can, because I go back to the idea of the criteria. What are we measuring? what is bad and what is good. So if I am the, the, the director of a piece and my, or the rehearsal director, and my goal is that you are absolutely precise and very clean and uh, you hit the music when it needs to be heated and uh, hit when it needs to be hit and, and the lights and things like that, and you've done a fantastic work in that, in that sense, I can come out and tell you, you've been incredible. And maybe as a performer, I have been thinking about my grocery shopping. I've been thinking about, uh, or I haven't been connected to the emotional side of the piece. I don't know. It depends. Therefore, we are measuring different things. Therefore, the experience could be different. So maybe you can take me a little bit through this self-assessment. How does it work? Well, the first thing is to, to make very clear, and this is probably the hardest thing, what is right and what is wrong for you as a performer. What are you looking for for your performance? As a performer, I had it very, very clear. It had to be an experience that it was meaningful, that it was somehow transformative, that when I finish that experience, something has changed in me. At the moment, I couldn't explain, but now I know that it makes me somehow in touch with my humanity. That sounds really ethereal and not concrete. But if I, if I had to be more concrete, when I perform, I need to finish thinking I've given it all. 
physically, mentally, spiritually. If I haven't given it all, my performance was not right. Whatever the audience perceived that. Uh, therefore, in Towards Juventia, what the very first thing that we do is to set up your landmark. Why? why? Why are you performing? What is in, in Towards Juventia, we call it your north. What is your direction towards your Vivencia? And once you have that direction, we help people to establish um, ways to train those skills that they want to develop, that they want to go towards. And the methodology that we use is how we ritualize performance. Because rituals, it's something that as humans we've been using uh, for centuries, for, for millennials, that actually help us to transform our nervous system and to have a change and identity level. So rituals helps you to become, um, in, in our society, very close from a single person. You go through a ceremony, through a ritual, and then you became a married person. Or in the past, from a childhood, you go through a ritual and you became an adult from, for the tribe. So we, uh, we dissect how those uh, rituals are composed anthropologically, what are the effects in the nervous system for us to apply those steps into our performance, for us to go towards our right performance. I don't know if I explained it correctly. No, no, I'm, uh, I mean, I, I think that I can follow, I, I, I am following you and, you know, because it's interesting because you, you I read the introduction to your uh, book, Designing Presence, and, and you, you're talking there about rituals. And now when you were, and when you kind of did this differentiation between sport and dance and the fact that in sport science and in sport, there is always like a concrete goal and in dance, we are doing it for the sake of whatever. So immediately the word rituals came to my mind. Like, yeah, like there is a, there is a certain quality within, the, within dance that I can associate with rituals because also rituals are not always done for like a clear goal, but they do serve something that is bigger than the ritual. You don't enter the, the, the uh, you don't enter your, your wedding ceremony just because you want to be married, this you could do like on a paper. You do it because you, you wanna go through an experience. And dance is, is an experience. And so could, could you take me a little bit like, so how do you do it consciously, like within the idea of dance and training to transform it to something that would be equivalent to a ritual that you could associate it to a rich ritual? Uh, yes, no, I agree with everything that you you said exactly is that um, it, it was interesting because as a performer, as a dancer, the word ritual came to me very intuitively all the time. I, I don't know why, maybe because of my past in martial arts or or because I was introduced very early on in my career to whirling dervish dance, which is a, a, a religious ceremony. And therefore the rituals always stay in my in my head and had to do something with the commitment with the respect to the actions that you're doing, with the sacredness about what the actions that you're doing. So researching into rituals, once I started the, the studies, I came across a sentence that I loved it. And I'm gonna say it here because it, it is something that it changed my life. Rituals render the concept real. It's a lot of words and very complicated, but what it means is in English, the word render, it's, it's I don't really know the meaning 
specifically, I never uh, look in the dictionary, but kind of like transform something. When you have a video, you give the instructions into the computer and then the computer render those instructions into the final video. So it's kind of like gathering a lot of information in order to have an outcome. The, the outcome that rituals are having is rendering, transforming a concept, an idea, Adulthood is an idea. It's it's nothing that you can touch. Uh, marriage is is a concept. Uh, uh, to belong to a gang is is a concept. And those uh, the rituals are the performing actions. So actually, it's a theater in which you embody those concepts, and somehow they became real. So by walking down the aisle, by taking the hand of your bride or your groom or, or the other person, by pronouncing the vows, by doing all those actions, you are actually embodying, going through your, integrating in your body the concept of marriage or the concept of adulthood. Um, so that's how I arrived to the word rituals. And what I did is uh, I check. As you said, it was fantastic because it's true that ritual sometimes has a very clear purpose. Adulthood, childhood became to a gang, but sometimes they are just done um, in order to gather the community together. The rituals of, of festivities of, of food and uh, or the spring ritual, the rite of spring, right? Um, so those uh, rituals that... Uh, the behavior, the ritualistic behavior within human nature, anthropologically speaking, it serves us in order to integrate a concept that we cannot understand, but we can make it real through embodying certain actions. And therefore, what I was uh, researching is, well, actually, if I want to embody the concept of performance presence, which is a concept at the end of the day, how can I go through the steps, literally, like almost creating a recipe, for me to integrate that concept and make it real through my body. So that's how I, um, in every ritual, there is always three steps, uh, which is, um, I, I had another thought, but I'm going to go first through this, is uh, removal from the society, from your normal context. There is the liminality. There is the moment that you are in between. So you are not a child or an adult anymore. You are in between. You are going through the ritual. And then you have the reintegration when you come back to society as the new adult. In performance, if you think about it, it's very, very similar. We kind of like remove from society. We switch off our phones. We put our costumes, our makeups. We go into this silence with only the people who are going to be in the theater show, in the, in the, in the dance performance. We go into a world that doesn't exist. It's almost sacred. We go, I don't know if you had that experience, but every time that I step into physically on a stage, something magical happened. It was only two centimeters from being outside of a stage and inside of a stage. But that step, it marked a massive change in, in, in my universe. I was into another universe. The liminal state is the moment that we are dancing, that we are in this piece. And therefore, later on, we have a reintegration in society when we go to a bar and have a drink and talk about the performance. And somehow, I don't know if it happens to you, it took me a while to be able to go to those bars and, and to reintegrate with people. I, 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 I was going through a process. So it's very much ritualistically. The only thing that I've done with Towards Juventia is take those steps and tailor them to render the concept of performance or any other concept that you want to, to achieve, which is your vivencia, 
and to create as choreographers, as, as creators, the necessary steps, the necessary physical actions for that concept to become real. Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, first, I think that in my, in my own choreographic practice, I was always very interested, especially working with students, because that's, that's what I've been doing recently, working with students on, on preparing them to go to stage. For me, it was the, the most interesting part. Like, how can I create a system that within it, there is a certain commitment from the dancers towards what they are doing, rather than a certain... Uh, so the importance is not the creation itself, but is how we prepare to the event of presenting the creation. So, so and, but, but where the, the point that I'm a, a little bit struggling and, I, and, and, and maybe it's the, you know, my internal struggle and it would be nice to address it with you as well, is that when you're talking about, you know, the, the, like I went through, a, I was born in Israel, I'm Jewish, I went through this ceremony at the age of 13 that is called Bar Mitzvah, which is this kind of going into adulthood and 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 there is a certain, and there is a big difference i think with the engagement of let's say the the community around you when you go through such a ceremony and of course i've done also other ceremonies in my in my life and the moment that we're in the theater because dance nowadays especially in the contemporary dance world or even in other performance scene there is also the, you know, the, the social context is that most of the time we don't have a personal relationship with the audience. We don't know them. They come with many different expectations. Some are coming to be entertained. Some are coming to, you know, just judge what is happening on stage. Some are coming just to have this kind of social affirmation that they have a certain social status of art consumers. And, and maybe that's why, why, why that's maybe the reason why it's so hard to reintegrate yourself after going into this sacred place because sometimes you know I've, and I've been on the audience side as well sometimes you're sitting on the audience you're, and you're just like okay I came here because I need to show my face in this theater and like I'm just actually I'm not very interested in watching anything or sometimes you, you, you might sh you, it might happen during the performance but when you are doing I don't know like when you, you want to join a gang and everybody is there to kind of see if you will, I don't know, do the, the courageous thing that will make you part of the gang. Everybody's with you. Everybody's engaged with you. So yeah, what do you think about it? Because sometimes I feel like it's almost that the performance becomes more important for the performers than the audience who is watching because of that. And then like, does it, does it affect the actual ritual when, when like, you see what I'm pointing out? Definitely. That's why, that's why we somehow created the one year training program because uh, I fully agree with you while you're going through the bat mitzvah or you, I don't know if I'm saying it correctly. Bar mitzvah, but it's okay. Yeah, there is also bat mitzvah. This is for the ladies. I see. <laughs> well, when you go through that ceremony so, or a marriage or, or belong to, to a gang, as you said, the community surrounding you knows what are your aim, what is your transformation that you're going through the, the through the ritual. When you go into an audience, it's very much unipersonal. Uh, I go to the theater for a reason as a member of the audience, and you might have a ritual as a performer or not, but I'm not sharing, I am not part of your ritual. Um, 
that's why I said before that performance also is a very much a personal experience because for me performance is attached to that transformation. The the idea that is someone witnessing or not, it might help me or not, but it's a little bit outside of my own um, ritual or, or it might be it might be uh, attached to it if the community are going through through that with me. So that's why we created a little bit towards Vivencia for the people to be able to design their own rite of passages. And by the end of the one year training, they perform with us this rite of passage. Um, at the beginning, we normally um, gather. The first time that we gathered was in Barcelona and people from different editions came and they performed their rite of passage. We were supporting them. We, were, we actually removed them from the society from the day that they were going through the rite of passage. We didn't talk much to them or they, they had their space container. They went through that rite of passage for that transformation, and then afterwards we celebrate with them that that um, that transformation, that passage. But yes, you're very right. In the theater, as we have it right now, now we are tapping into why dance exists as part of a market, and uh, is and I I extremely agree that needs to happen because uh, I think it it feels it's it's a great service to society in many different ways, but and this is the, the huge goal in my life, the more I spend in this profession, the more I think that dance is not only to be witnessed, which I think is important to be amazed by those amazing dancers that they train all their life and those amazing choreographies that inspire you and, and, and makes you believe in, in humanity. So that's the witnessing part. But I strongly believe that dance is mainly to be experienced so the more as dancers we can pass that experience of getting in touch with your full self through movement, which I think at the end of the day is what dance is for me, the more we will be serving society through our profession. So I'm, I'm answering two, two things at the same time. The ritualistic side being the first person experience and therefore is not shared in traditional theater spaces, fully agree. And I believe that this ritualistic side of dance can be passed to absolutely everyone for them to experience and design their own dance, transformative dance. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder, like I'm, I'm not uh, that familiar with the history of dance altogether, but I wonder like when, if or when or how this kind of transformation from dance as something ritualistic that is being experienced by the community, when it, it became something that is there to be to be watched for the sake of entertainment for whatever reason because i agree with you that that it's more from from all the performance art, performing arts i think that dance is real is its power is more when you experience it uh, directly like i think music affects them like you know everybody's been affected by music maybe it's a bit of a hard statement but i feel I, I can stand behind it i think i never met somebody who doesn't have a relationship with music but I met many people who are not interested at all to watch dance. And, and I think also the more dance goes into the realm of abstraction and where the concept becomes more important than the action, it becomes more interesting maybe for the artist. And I definitely have my share experience with that. I'm working in Vienna and every time I created a piece here, it was always based on more, on more theoretical research. But for the viewer sometimes it just becomes less and less relatable and and yeah and there is and there is 
you know, I can say that I've, I've been really moved by really few dance pieces that I've watched. And, but, you know, dance changed my life to some extent, you know. So how, how do you approach that? How do you make it more accessible? Because, okay, like toward Viventi, as you said, like it's aimed for like professionals, but what is your, how do you want to engage with like the people who are not trained in dancers? In, in dance at all yes uh i i'm i'm gonna answer first the, the idea of um of where dance became kind of like a product to be consumed and and i don't know the history as well and i'm not gonna get into that because i'm sure i get it wrong uh but i i want to say that i strongly defend that those conceptual abstract work needs to continue existing because for me it's somehow the research and development of the art form it's almost like when you are in a big company like Apple or any other ones, you have those people in the basement that they, no one knows what they're doing, no one understands what they're doing. But after years of work, they bring out a, a phone that you can manage with your fingers instead of with a, a keyboard. So I have the feeling that dance, conceptual and abstract dance is really important to keep supporting it, um, not mainly for mass consumption, but for the advancement of, the advancement of, of our craft. And then feed into that uh, how far we've gone into the knowledge of the body, into the knowledge of the emotional state of the, of the human being through movement, of the conceptual thinking, rational thinking, mathematical thinking, logical thinking, uh, rhythmical thinking through dance, you know, how far we've got through all those research for us to pass that experience in a much more accessible way. So answering what are we doing in Towards Venthi in order to do that is I am focusing in the professional dance community at the moment because it is my circle, it is my family, it is the people that, when I talk about performance presence through movement, are the ones that are immediately interested because they know intuitively what I'm talking about. But something that I want to start building with the time and what our book is trying to address is to make that in a way that the bodily experience it is not only reserved for the virtualist, uh, not virtualistic, the virtuosity of movement. It can be approached in many different ways. So more and more, uh, the more we go through towards Juventia, the more people who are not dancers are coming to our one-year course because they are the parents of or the boyfriend of someone who has come through our workshops or or someone who has heard about us and is interested in that idea of movement. And now, right now, we are going through a through a process that we are creating the first cohort of training uh, trainers. So we are uh, we have a group of ten people who are incredible, and they are going to be uh, people who are receiving the methodology of towards Juventia, and they will be able to teach it in universities, in schools, in companies. And one of the goals we are talking to different partners for them to be able to pass this methodology, this bodily experience. To people who are not dancers and it's a lot of barriers uh, because people when they talk about dance they they think about this abstract uh, non-accessible thing so we need to mask it somehow to talk that we are talking about the body we're talking about movement how cross lateral movement increase your motivation reduce your stress so actually we need to start learning their language for us to be able to to pass them on something that is important for them. But we don't have the language, most of us, because we are used to our community. So actually we need to translate it for them first. 
created experiences that are highly enjoyable because actually this is a reward system. The more you enjoy and the more you see the, the results, uh, the more hooked you will be to that. And that will be our duty to translate those experiences and make people maybe not dance as we know it, uh, as creating dance shows, but design, as choreographers, that's what we do, design movements for them to tap into those states of consciousness or emotional states that we want. A quick example. I can imagine this high executive of a huge corporation receiving the call of his life that he achieved an incredible goal for that company or for himself. Most of them, the first thing that they would do is to hang up the phone and start jumping and moving their arms and it's a physicalization of that emotion. So what about if we approach that in a different way? If you want to feel happier, if you want to feel more empathetic with your employees or with your uh, partners, if you want to feel more compassionate to your clients, if you want to feel more motivated and less tired, let's design the movements that you need as a provocation, as a trigger, rather than then appear as a result of your um, of your situation. When someone is sad, normally the shoulders goes down and then you start walking in a heavier way. So as choreographers, we can design movements that actually have the opposite effect. So it's not the emotion that affects your body, it's the body that affects your emotion. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I just want to go back before I react to that, that I agree with you that uh, on the point that we should preserve space for dance to be researched in a very abstract way. I didn't want to, I didn't argue that it's not necessary. I think that there is an, maybe what I'm trying to say that and maybe on that we can agree that that the, the utility of that is in question because if we invest like if we if we look at dance at least in, in Vienna there is the luxury that dance is publicly funded so if we as society decide to invest money in order to make research around dance but then the result is that we just produce like we have this kind of market that demands more and more new production and most of them are are unrelatable so then like what are we actually doing rather than investing the money in giving people the space to do this abstract research and not expect a spectacular result but let this resonate later and find the integration back into society in ways that are not maybe linear you know i and sometimes it's incredible, you know, like how like linear li- thinking can limit us. And, 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 I, and I'm sure that, you know, like in the essence, I think that the importance of dance is because there is, it's a creative act. I'm going into the, into the unknown and I'm engaging in creativity. And what is more important for society than cultivating creative spirits for future unknown problems that needs to be solved. So yeah, if we completely castrated away how the hell do we gonna solve the problems of the future? So no doubt that it's important. But I'm really questioning the necessity of, of pressuring artists to constantly create these shallow products that don't give any meaning to anybody. And you know, in Vienna, I've noticed that the majority of the people that comes to the theater is other artists. And most of the time, what you see is just the kind of interrelational, inter, interrelational relationship between the artists and what they think about themselves being manifested in their reaction to each other's works. And that's really like, almost like just you come and notice the, the, the dance politics. So yeah, that's, and that's, I think 
really not interesting for nobody. It's very endogamic uh, and incestuous, isn't it? Yes, it's just a shame because I think that, yeah, dance, it it has a transformable, like uh, it can be used in such different magnificent way. And I think that what you've said about the CEO example and, and so you, when I started dance, I was, I, I went through the contact improvisation world and I was not a professional. So for me, dance was always related to non-professionals before it became something that I did professionally. And, and my teaching practice started in the contact in, in improvisation community. So before I was teaching in dance academies, I was working with people who, who don't have background. And, and what I'm, I'm interested to, to ask you, because you've mentioned the problem of language. Okay, so for us, certain things are very, they have a clear meaning. But the first problem that you associate when you try to convince somebody to join something that comes from dance is the question of like, why should I do it? So then you need to take this kind of utilitarian approach and start of breaking, breaking down like, what's the utility of it? But in a way, the challenging thing is that, that that's the thing that is sometimes most is, is, is like the magic of dance is sometimes within this realm of, 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 of mystery. No, that it's not that linear. And I went through this path and I struggled so much with this kind of, you know, kind of conveying the, the meaning behind the thing that doesn't have a meaning. How do you experience it? It's, How's it going for you actually? It's really challenging. It's really challenging. It's, it's almost like you are promising the, the, the kingdom of, uh, of uh, the heavens on earth but no one has seen it before because it's, a, it's, a, it's an experience, it's what you said. And we are used to very extreme, immediate satisfaction. Twitter, 120 characters, everything is comprised there. Uh, Instagram, a picture that says everything and, and gives you likes and, and that's a satisfaction. You want to watch a film, you, you have an incredible catalog in Netflix and Amazon. And so we are in a moment that in history probably is the most comfortable moment that humans has uh, experienced, at least in the Western world. I know that, unfortunately, there is only a, a percentage of humanity that has all access to those com co commodities. But also those people, actually, who has access to those communities, the people who need the most that necessary discomfort. Because let's, let's face it, dance sometimes is uncomfortable. It, it hurts the body, you get it wrong. Um, so it's, it's, it's extremely challenged what you're saying, how, how to convey something that actually is purely experiential that you only get how it transforms you by experiencing it and i always put this example it's almost like you give the seed to a plant to someone but they don't know what is the plant that is gonna appear they don't know how long it's gonna take to appear they don't even know if it's gonna appear how many times you put a a seed in the in the soil and it doesn't uh, appear anything it doesn't blossom so with dancing happen the same you have to put many many seeds and one of them two of them three of them luckily we have now the methodologies and the knowledge for more seeds you plant to have the the right techniques for them to blossom in the right way but many times they don't and as you said in an utilitarian world in which the companies are being measured by how many time i spent in doing this how much money i spend in doing this and how many results i get by doing it it is almost impossible to uh, to convey what we do. So I don't have the solution, unfortunately. We are working on it. Uh, and my approach at the moment is try to talk the language somehow for them to, to at least to give us, to open the door 
for them to experience at least a few times and therefore by experiencing now we already have more possibilities for them to to be able to continue and the other one that i'm hoping is actually i want or i dream of populating the world with more professional dancers we are in a moment that i think uh, dance uh, professional dance is at risk because uh, less funding, because of uh, uh, people are worried about their uh, incomes, because there are less less opportunities, because it's harder. But the more people they go through a professional training, which involve also to have those experiencing of performing and creating those abstract, non-accessible performances, those transform us. And hopefully, by me being that transformed, somehow I can pass that knowledge in a indirect way to the person who is with me in the bus and then or with my brother we have a lot of contact and my brother is a tiny bit diff working differently in his office and by him working a tiny bit differently in the office his boss works in a tiny bit different way so the more professional dancers are in the world i think hopefully our example just by being different it will start spreading and I don't think it's one or the other. I think it needs to be both at the same time. So we need to pass that bodily experience to more and more people, but also we need to advocate for more professional dancers to have the possibility of keep training and keep developing those skills that takes really long time. You cannot do that in three years in seats or, or the place. It's, it's a long time career for them to infect in a good way. Now it's very, very current to infect, to populate the world with those state of beings. Mm -hmm. I think there is also another kind of uh, maybe inherited uh, uh, challenge. Uh, have you heard about this uh, big five personality traits from like uh, this this module from psychology? I don't think I have. Uh, uh, okay, I mean, I, I will try to give the example that like there is a, a certain correlation between personality types and kind of the type of profession and position that we will find ourselves. And I think that the dance, for example, and generally art, attracts people who are open, who, who, are, who have a, like a strength in trait called openness, which is basically that you're open for new experiences. Because I think, you know, like in dance, it's like when you're doing dance training, you, it's, it's quite obvious that you have to be open because you're going to go into the unknown and and this is also a, a personality trait that will be very found, that will be typically found in the world of uh, entrepreneurships, you know, like people who are trying to set up a new business, like you have to kind of dive into the unknown. But on the other side, like managers, people who are finding themselves in, in high-end position of management are, more, are typically people who are more conscientious. And there is a certain correlation between that and kind of lack of trait openness. So it's people who are very good in doing, in, in doing exactly what they need to do, but they are not very open to new experiences because they want order, they want a structure. So then it's also like, you know, like it's hard that when you like, you know, I've been kind of approaching with my work many, um, you know, human resources managers who are supposed, who are like, you know, people who are, who are head of taking care of their employees, but very often, those are the people that are not so open for new experiences. So they want the they want the efficient solution that is already tested, that is known, in order to you know like improve that eventually that it could be measured. You know, like okay, we've brought this training, 
let's say we took towards Vivencia and now our company performs better on the graphs we can show the investors and that's yeah and that's uh, yeah you know like I don't want to sound like I'm uh, like a kind of uh, argument against uh, uh, our current economical system but it's definitely place a challenge when it comes to evaluating experiences no Yes, definitely. It's, it's, it's a very, very difficult uh, position. But I have the feeling that just by the fact that you and I are having this circumstance, something is changing. Uh, people are more and more open to, to different experiences. To People are giving importance to, to different things now at the moment. And it's going to be a very gradual change. But I have huge hope in humanity, um, blind faith. And I have the feeling that we are moving slowly in the right direction. Uh, and it's going to be slowly. And if I can contribute with Towers Juventia very, very little to that future, my, my job is done in this world. I, I'm not expecting to change the world uh, radically because I don't have the power. I don't have the knowledge. Uh, um, I don't think uh, I will be able to. But if I can contribute a little bit towards that direction, my job is done. So that, that's, I will be happy with that. But what is it, but, you know, I'm, I'm also interesting, like, you know, but what is it personally for you? Like, what is it the thing that you, you know, like, because I think many times and I, and I can really resonate with it because for years I've been carrying this kind of, uh, you know, flag, like, okay, you, you do dance and you affect your life and, and kind of find, trying to find the link between what we do in the studio and how it, it really affects our behavior. And and yeah, but I wonder what what is it for you that you're searching within your own practice to change? Like, what is it? What is the thing that you're trying to use dance for yourself? Um, for myself, something that has helped me is um, I'm gonna be talking in a in a strange uh, vocabulary that it's not very concrete, but I will try to make it as concrete as possible. It has helped me to develop my consciousness. What I mean by consciousness is that quality that we all know that we are we. So you know that you are you, that you are sitting where you are, that you are in the space that you are. And by the memories that you have, you know that you are the same person that you were 10 years ago, even if every single cell of your body has changed. Um, so there is a relationship of, of identity, of who I am. That consciousness, somehow it has helped me to look a tiny bit, expand that consciousness, as concrete as it sounds, knowing and, and, and having that experience that every single action that I, that I do has an effect, a knock-on effect in the context and the environment around me. And I'm talking about the environment, climate, but I'm talking also about the people who are around me um, and everything that is happening. So dance is, has helped me and, and my body practice keeps helping me of being really conscious of what my actions are and the enormous responsibility and response ability the ability that i have to respond to the things that are going around for me to create a world or the world that is around me a bit more ethical a tiny bit more responsible knowing that my actions are not just stopping in what i do it always have a knock and effect in everything that i do and dance has helped me immediately uh, with that on Contact improv is the perfect example. What you do has an effect on the person that is with you. Uh, how much you train has an effect in the in the in the person that are around you. So yeah, developing that that consciousness to to develop my responsibility with the rest of the world. 
It's interesting. I mean, first, I'm, the first word that comes to my, that I take from what you said is the word ethics, because I think that's a big, big thing. But you know, you know I'm personally going through re- really like a, my, my, I'm, I'm almost 40, so I'm, I'm a bit before this kind of midlife crisis. <laughs> I probably, I mean, right in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, it's, I think, you know, I guess that for the majority of people who were working in the world of dance, Corona offers this early life crisis because we really have to question like, what is it? How, how does it, how can we fit it into this new reality? But yeah, I, and I also had tons of, you know, personal experiences around that, that I'm, that I was really questioning, like, what does it, what does, what is the value of living in relationship to your body? You know, like on my website, if you enter my website, it's written like, uh, you decide how you age, research your body, you know, like kind of very clear message. And, and I do still stand behind it, but the more I'm living like this, I'm really trying to break it down. Like what, what does it give us all this body knowledge? What does it give us this sensitivity to, because, okay, you, you've mentioned the word ethics, you know, like that's so, argu- like we, we can argue about it the whole, the whole night. Like what is ethical, no? Ma- and, maybe not. And, um, do you know what is the- Let's start. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's start very, very simple. Do you know what is the, hyp- uh, I think it's Hippocratic uh, oath that the doctors take as soon as they start practicing medicine? Uh, um, not by heart, but my wife coming f- is coming from a doctor family, so kind of I'm quite familiar with that. Somehow, the very first thing that they promise is first, do no harm. It's as simple as that. So that that's that, that's the first thing. Of course, in, me- in medicine is is really difficult because you encounter a situation in that you're about to deliver a baby and then you need to decide if you save the life of the baby or the mom. It's it's, it's extremely difficult where you don't do harm, and those decisions are very difficult. But I think this is a very simple starting point. And if in dance, we start approaching that as a very basic uh, initial ethical code, first do no harm, first do no harm to others or to yourself. Then we can start applying our work in order to improve the ethics of our context. So I don't think it's that big. But before you mention something that you know that I I would argue that it's that that would contradict it because you know like, and this is something that I I feel that becomes more and more and more present within the politics that is present in dance circles is that the notion of you know my exper- my subjective experience is more relevant than anything else. So if I feel that what you did was something that harmed me harmed me therefore it's objectively true that you harmed me even if your intention was not to harm me you know if if i perceive your touch as as an improper uh, cross of my boundary that's it that, that that's the action that happened and then how this uh, this notion of first do not harm can can be applicable if the definition of harm is not in your hands it's just in the hands of the one who is perceiving and this becomes like super tricky to negotiate because, you know, then, of course, I don't think that anybody, I mean, I would say that everybody who is kind of intuitively uh, is like not psychopath and would, would, would agree that I don't want to harm anybody. You know, only crazy people, psychopath people would want to harm others. So, of course, it's a good base. But again, this subjectivity and also what you said, like, 
if you experience it as a performance, there is a performance. How, do, how would you negotiate this tension? It's, I find it very complicated. I would not uh, agree that it's a simple thing. Although I think that we can have a discussion on what, what will be a maybe more, you know, like a better path to start talking about ethics and morality, but I think it's hyperly complicated. It's, it's very complicated, the application of it. I fully agree. And that you um, operate from a place, uh, from an ethical place, doesn't mean that always your actions are going to be ethical. As you are saying, I might touch you in a way that I think is ethical, but I might get it wrong. And therefore, I believe that it's an education, it's a training, it's, a, it's something that we need to develop. That's why I think dance comes in, because you don't take a class and everything is solved. It's something that you start learning. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I guess because I'm not super, super familiar with the, with the contact improvisation, I practice it, but I'm not super into the community. But I guess that the people who has practiced for many years contact improvisation has an integrated knowledge of how the touch should be, how much weight you should give in order not to harm the other, how much you support that if you've developed your skills properly. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah, I, I can argue. I can, uh, I can, I can argue about anything. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, <laughs> Me too. I, I, I agree. I, I, I can agree with that. But I think that you know now you're looking at it as something that is like. I think it's much more measurable. To when because we are talking about physicality, but you know, like you, you mentioned, like yeah, you, you, you said like I don't want to harm you. That's my intention. I don't want to harm you, but. I touch you in a certain way that you perceive as harmful and then you correct me and then I accept, okay. But you know, in many situations, our subjective experience can be completely disconnected from, from reality. And that's, you know, like that can happen for everybody, for in everyone's life, you can find this example. And also like, if I'm entering a space, let's say I'm entering a contact gem, a contact, let's take contact for example, I come to a first contact class in my life. And And then somebody is uh, suddenly touching me in an exercise. And for me, like, I don't know, touching my head is like very personal. And I'm like, hey, what the hell? I don't know you. What are you touching my head? And then somebody tells you, ah, look, like, just focus on the, on the weight. And like, it's not anything personal. We are just trying to, you know, to, to get a sense of the physical weight of our head and to release it. And then it's like, ah, okay, interesting. So now I can recorrect my own uh, perspective of what is harmful for me. And, and, you know, especially if you talk about people who are not professionals and most of the time, you know, like yeah, they, have, they, have, they don't have so much body knowledge and, and, and connection to the body. So they, you know, like I'm always giving the example of my father, which uh, I don't want to sound like I'm renting on him, but he's a farmer and his posture is not like, you know, he, he's not, he doesn't have a, like a clear posture. He's, so for him, when I tell him to straighten up, he experiences it like you going to a bridge. So it's like, there's so much, such a gap between what you experience subjectively and and that's something i'm struggling extremely especially when you place yourself in a position that you have like power on people like a teaching position like you want to support people and you know that you you need to sometimes you know harm them a little bit and i'm saying harming like putting them out of their comfort zone putting them in a situation that you know that they are on the border of their capacity to feel safe And that could lead to harm, but it could also lead to grow. And it's such a challenging thing to address. Uh, yes, um, two things about that. I, I fully agree with what you're saying, but um, when we were talking about 
developing your skills. As I said, I think dance is, is, is a great a school of knowledge for you to develop this ethical knowledge, even if it's uh, just uh, in a in an integrated way that you don't realize. So the, the more you experience dance, uh, I I want to believe that the people who want to learn, who want to develop, will have the chance. There are some people, as you said, that because of the background knowledge or something like that, that they are close to do that. And we know, we know people who has been involved in the dance world who has been continuously harming other people, but probably because their goal was not to use dance in order to develop that skill. Mine is. And the second thing that I was thinking when you were talking about um, that, um, oh, I forgot what it was about. And you were talking about the, the position. The position of power when you're leading people. Yes, the, the harm. I think we need to, it's very, 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 very important to make the differentiation of which harm it's pushing the boundaries in the way that you are breaking them, therefore the harm is permanent, or a harm that it's necessary because by healing, by uh, it's a harm that actually what it does is shake, it doesn't break. And I'm gonna give the example once again of the doctors. The doctors, it really poke our skin with a needle and that is harming in order to put something in our body that it will uh, be better for us than if they wouldn't done it. So in sports, the very first principle is actually there is micro damage that you do through training. So you actually start breaking the muscles. For them, when, they, when you rest and digest uh, the, the nutrients, actually the muscle grow in a way that it became stronger. However, if you push the boundaries to a way that that damage it is not micro tissue but you ripped the fibers that muscle doesn't work anymore so as teachers we have a huge responsibility of keep learning and developing how much we can push those um, boundaries of our students and how we create a safe container for of course to create discomfort and getting them out of their comfort zone without pushing the boundaries to a moment that we break them and there is no way back and i think that is the the limit the moment that there is no way back yeah yeah 100 and i think that you know i've had this discussion with already several people here on the podcast and definitely outside of the podcast in my life and i think that it's like i've never i i haven't came i haven't come across yet of let's say a systemized way to approach it or like a or a principal way to approach it and and i've always been surprised by individual reactions and by my lack of ability to actually be as sensitive as I would like to be to the individual needs. And, and I have a friend who, who, who told me, you know, like, you know, that's just part of life, trauma. You know, like, it's as sad as it may, is it, as sad as, you know, as it may be. And, and here I would say he's not a pessimist and not an, and not an optimist, he's really a realist. Is that like, look, that's part of life and that's how we grow sometimes you know like you break your leg sometimes you somebody breaks your heart sometimes you get traumatized and and you know it's part of the story and 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 yeah i don't know i mean i i, I had i had my own personal story with my wife that we went through a point in our relationship that was really really traumatic for both of us and and i could never imagine like kind of like a a good outcome of it and now f five years later you know it's like you look at it and you say like wow this trauma was important you know it's like 
what have I learned? But, and, and this is where I am, you know, in, in the world of contact improvisation, when we look at the physicality, not when we look a bit, I uh, put aside like the emotional and like, so then I see like the tendency to always be attracted to too much softness and caring too much for the body. In the world of jiu-jitsu, there is a lot of emphasis like pushing the body and this fine line. Maybe that's why I'm attracted to different communities because then I can kind of, you know, find my own little way to play with it. But uh, yeah, it's, I wonder like, did you try ever to, because it seems like you're a, a person that has the talent to create modules and system. Have you tried to approach that as well in your pedagogical practice? Yes. Uh, when, I, when you were talking about it, is, I was thinking that actually the key of those traumatic experiences to have the tools to transform them into something that you want to, to have an outcome positive for you. And I remember that the most intimate relationship that I had with towards Juventia, it's me not feeling enough all the time. It was a trauma because I didn't talk to my father since I was 23. We had a big fight and I've been always uh, feeling that I was never enough. Uh, I was very small and therefore I had to be taller. I was the youngest one in this company and I didn't know enough about dance. Uh, um, I was a Spanish teaching in, non in England and my English was not good enough. So I had lots of little traumatic experiences um, about not being enough and a big one in a relationship with my father, which... Uh, we had a, a huge fight and we never spoke again. So through towards Juventia, by ritualizing my actions, I knew what was the outcome that I wanted to have. It was not adulthood, it was not getting married, it was feeling enough. So I created my own ritual in which I was training for two years to go through this transformation. And I have to tell you, it was not overnight. It was not, I did my rite of passage and the next day I was just uh, the most incredible person. But something has changed. I have been had the tools to personally transform my trauma or used that uh, traumatic experiences for me to create a new Jorge, a new identity, a new pattern of behavior that uses that vulnerability that I've learned through that traumatic experience and now makes me more empathetic, knowing that I still have a lot of work to do with myself, but where I am right now, I am enough. I am okay with who I am. I am really happy with who I am, knowing that I am still have a lot to, um, to accomplish in my life and, and to get better at it. But just knowing that there are things that I need to get better at it makes me very happy with who I am because I already know that I have something to improve on. So I'm not, I know that I'm not perfect, but I am happy knowing that I'm not perfect because I know where I'm going. I don't know if it makes sense. Makes so yes. sense at all. So that's, that's the idea of creating rituals in order to transform those experiences into the direction that you want to, to render the concept yeah. real. Yeah, no, it's great. And I think what I hear about you describing your own uh, story with your dad, because I'm, I, I'm sure like that many people can resonate that the relationship with the parents can trigger many strong things is that you don't you don't sound for me like resentful about your about about that and with some kind of gratitude and i think that's for me maybe the the most inhibiting emotion when it comes to actually using trauma is that it's very easy to to become resentful and i was angry and, for many years yeah and you know and in a way it's quite natural because life can be really challenging and it's so easy to become resentful about things that happened and you know like feeling kind of like you're 
And sometimes I feel like, you know, I don't, I, I don't know, it's just a thought that comes to my mind. So that sometimes I feel that, I, that re, being really resentful must also kind of, or can, can only exist when there is a certain narcissism, no? Like that you kind of like, because you're resentful because something happened to you and why did it, why should it, why did it happen to me or why they did it to me? It's almost like you first start with this idea that you're so important and therefore like, why should you experience that? And rather than just recognizing, you know, like that's the inherit, inherit part of life that we, we go through things that we don't want to happen to us. And sometimes we get those traumas in order to have some space to build ourselves back up and come differently. Yeah, I never thought yeah. about the narcissistic. I always thought about the entitlement. I definitely feel much better when I feel that I'm not entitled to things. Um, so yeah, I think I it's quite relate. similar, no? Yes. Like entitlement and, and narcissism. Yeah, yes. like you can find the, the line. Hey man, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm super uh, enjoying conversing with you, uh, but I also want to give you some space to, you know, share with people who are listening, like where they can approach your work or like what's the next opportunity to to kind of meet the things that you're doing in let's say in the first person experience uh sure thank you for the for the opportunity for that um well during the easter holidays uh next week i don't know when this is gonna be aired but the first second third and fourth of april we have created an event called the brain and the dancer in which i will be leading a four days workshop dissecting the neuroscience, the anthropology of rituals, and uh, the cognitive and philosophy behind the peak performance experiences. We will also, we'll have a Wayne McGregor company talking a little bit about how they use the mind, Akron Kam about how they use the spirituality into the consciousness as well. And we will have a, a, a manual therapist talking about the nervous system of the freelancer. And from then, we are building immediately into the next edition, the one-year training program of Towards Juventia, which will start at the end of April. So if anyone is interested, we have 20 places. Some, some places are already filled with people who already wanted to join us. So if you're interested, uh, towardsvivencia.com, and you have all the information there. If not, find me on in Instagram, Facebook, and knock me and ask me questions. It's always good to hear from people who are interested in this subject about neuroscience, uh, ritualistic behavior, transformation through dance, uh, for us to, to build together those um, better contexts, more ethical contexts for everyone. Pleasure. Mm. Thank you very much for sharing. I will make sure to link everything in the description of the episode for people who are interested. and. Yes, thank, I want to I wanna thank you for this really rich uh, conversation. I, I, you know, from my list, there is maybe, maybe we went through two things. <laughs> so uh, you can expect uh, coming here again, my friend. It's really nice to get to know you. It will and be thank my you for pleasure. the openness. And uh, yes, until the next time, have a good evening. Thank you very much for being here. And I really enjoyed this conversation. Really good questions and really poking in the right direction. Thank you very much for that. Thank you very much. For more movement-related content and educational training programs, visit our website at www.movementlab.eu.